You know, I want you to take your Bibles and go to the book of Ephesians chapter 6, if you would please. I want to speak to you about the essential father. Is anybody tired of hearing what's deemed essential and what has been deemed non-essential? That's all I've heard. That's all we have heard for at least 12 weeks now. And uh, for example, I I was... um, listening to an advertisement from a plasma donation center here in the city. And here was, uh, in essence, their, their advertisement. Their pitch was this. The President of the United States has considered plasma donation essential to the building of our culture and for infrastructure, and it went on and on, and it was, it was just basically letting us know that we encourage you to donate because it is vital to the infrastructure of this nation. It is essential. I started thinking a moment ago uh, earlier this week about all, and I wrote them down, all the things that are absolutely essential in life. Food, water, clothing, and we started, I started just going through the, the things that you would list But the thing that kept coming back to the top of the list was the role of a godly father as being probably one of the most essential elements for the infrastructure and the help of a crumbling culture that is before us. Can I get any help? And so look at Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4 if you would. There's so many wonderful scriptures that we could use, but this one is probably many of our favorites when it comes to fatherhood. And so being Father's Day, I'm going to specifically speak to fathers. And so moms, if you'll just kind of bear with us, um, we will hopefully, the Spirit of the Lord will speak to our men today in a very special way. Whether you're a father or not, I believe this message will bless you. And Ephesians 6, 4 says, And you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Father, thank you for your word and speak to us, I pray, in the next few moments. We give you praise in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. You know, as I've watched the news these last many days, and I'm trying to limit my news watching as well, um, I have found that if I limit it, I can, I can actually have more peace and more joy and focus more on what he said than on what somebody else's spin is of the world. And so I've seen that um, with rioting and looting and violence, my heart goes out to, and, and it goes so much deeper than a political stance one way or the other. It's so much deeper than what meets the eye. The thing that really has spoken to my heart the most as I have seen, especially it's been men and women, but especially young men that are so angry and so violent and so bent on destruction I know many of them had no father figure in their life. That's where my heart breaks because I was blessed to have such a champion for a father. One of the things your pastor and I have talked about, every time we're together, we mention our dads because we know how fortunate we were to have such wonderful, present fathers in our lives. These boys that I watch on television and others, we know that they are in serious trouble and boys in general are in serious trouble today. And many of them are experiencing emotional pressures that contributes to what we're seeing, the violence, the drug abuse, the early sexual activity and other forms of rebellious behavior. So on behalf of them, 
And for all the little boys who have not yet encountered these difficulties, we need today to examine the the special forces behind what has created such an unhealthy environment in the culture that we live in. Chief among the threats to this generation of boys, obviously, is the breakdown of the family. It cannot be overstated. You might think, well, we, we, we know that, but it cannot be overstated. It needs to be spoken about because stable, lifelong marriages provide the foundation for social order. And it's critical as couples that we do whatever it takes with God's grace to stay married Even if you have trouble, even if you have challenges, don't we all? But staying put and staying together and the longevity of marriage is the foundation for social order. And everything of value rests on these underpinnings. So historically, when the family begins to unravel, and we've seen an unraveling of the American family we know and and around the world. So historically, when this happens, everything even including the effectiveness of government to the general welfare of the people, is adversely impacted. So the family today in our culture is being buffeted and undermined by the forces operating around it. Alcoholism, pornography, gambling, infidelity, and other virulent infections have seeped into its bloodstream. And we are now paying the price for what a broken family looks like in an American culture. I see how many are angry and how many are are acting out because there's no father saying, no, this is not how we act as men. This is not how we conduct our life. And this family, we have a name and a reputation that we will uphold as men of high value and integrity. Come on, somebody. And what we are seeing is the breakdown of that role as a father. So I truly believe that The future of Western civilization depends on how we handle the present crisis that we are in because as parents we are raising the next generation of men who will either lead with honor or abandon every good thing they have inherited. I mean ministries even like Royal Rangers are critical infrastructure to the local church. I was a Royal Ranger from the time you're allowed to enter it as a buckaroo, I think it was. It may have changed, but I remember I used to know all of the codes, all of the stuff. Sometimes I'll even uh, mention one to Susie. She'll say, wow, at your age, you still remember that. And I'm like, I really do. It has stuck with me. And because what it was, it was more than the campouts, and it was more than learning the Bible verses. And Royal Rangers was so much more than hanging out with my buds. It was the men in the church that were the role models for me that were my leaders. And many of them have gone to be with the Lord And those that are still here on this earth, I stay in touch with and occasionally will reach out and say, thank you for the impact that you made in my life. You never knew how I just looked up to you as a man that was a man of integrity, a man that stayed married, a man that was faithful to God. It meant the world to me. And so we see these are the bridges to the future in nations that are populated largely by immature, immoral, weak-willed, cowardly, and self-indulgent men cannot and will not be able to endure the tests that are to come. These type of men include those who sire and then abandon their children. Those who cheat on their wives, who lie, steal, and covet. Those who hate their countrymen and serve no other god but money. 
That is the directions that our boys are, are, are taking today in this culture. And the lasting qualities of character and self-discipline and respect for authority and commitment to truth and the belief and the work ethic and an unshakable love for Jesus Christ must be emulated by the Father more than anyone else. It is our role, whether you like it or not. It is our assignment, whether you want to accept it or not. Well, I'd just rather let my wife handle that. She wasn't created to handle what God gifted you to handle. So step up to the plate, sir, and handle your responsibilities with the love of God and with the passion and and with intentionality of what God has called you to do. The The devastating impact of family disintegration on children is indisputable. Never before has one generation of American teenagers been less healthy, less cared for, and less prepared for life. It's a direct result of marital disintegration and related forces, and I'm going to speak about some of the related forces, that are at work against what God instituted. It's called the family. Behavioral scientists have only recently begun to understand how critical fathers are to the healthy development of both boys and girls. While children of all ages, both male and female, have an innate need for contact with their fathers. Now let me emphasize that boys suffer the most out of the two, between the boys and the girls. Boys suffer the most from the absence or the non-involvement of fathers. And according to the National Center for Children, recently they stated boys without fathers are twice as likely to drop out of school, twice as likely to go to jail, and nearly four times as likely to need treatment for emotional and behavioral problems as boys with fathers. It is the essential missing element of the American culture. And it's being played out on live television Every day of our lives. Boys are in trouble and primarily because their parents and especially their dads are distracted, overworked, harassed, exhausted, disinterested, chemically dependent, divorced, or simply say I'm unable to cope with such challenges. And among our concerns is the absence of a masculine role for modeling and mentoring that dads should be providing. Now let me speak about mothers. Mothers who also tend to be living many times on the ragged edge of responsibility are left to do a job for which they have little training or experience. Waiting for the amens to die down. Women often have only a vague notion of how to go about rearing one because they've never been a boy. And boys are the big losers when the family splinters. Amen. Numerous researchers agree that losing a dad or or never having had one is catastrophic, especially for boys. Uh, Sociologist Peter Carl believes that because boys spend up to 80% of their time with women, they don't know how to act as men when they grow up unless a man is present to model that behavior. Come on, church. And I was talking recently to such a person. You know, I I speak for a different pastor every week in my travels somewhere in this country or overseas. And one of them said something to me recently. He was asking me out of nowhere. He started asking me questions about my dad. I've never had a pastor just sit down and want to talk about my dad. So did your dad do this? And I I, I began to describe um, this wonderful father that I was blessed with. And 
And he asked me more questions, and it was kind of, it wasn't uncomfortable at all. I mean, I'm happy to answer it. In fact, I'm really thrilled to get to talk about him because I lost him eight years ago to cancer. And how I miss his call this morning telling me how much he loves me, what I can do through the power of God's help, and he'd be praying for me as I preach the word. I miss that call that I received every Sunday of the last 39 years of my life. And so I was talking to this pastor. I, tears welled up in his eyes. And he said, Mark, I'm 59. He's the same age as me. I'm 59 years old. He said, I just celebrated my 40th high school reunion, and I did just last fall. And he said, my heart still breaks and I still weep over a dad that was disinterested in me. I didn't ask him to tell the story. I didn't even offer any comments for him to continue. I didn't want him to feel like I was being nosy and wanted him to say anymore. But, oh, he was ready to talk. And I let him. He said, my dad was an Assemblies of God pastor. And I said, don't, don't, don't tell me anymore. He said, I must. I said, I know this is going to be difficult. And I saw the pain on his face. I saw the grimacing. I saw the, the, the eyes welled with tears. And he said, he never one time from the time I started in, in Little League Baseball, he never came to one game or one practice. He wouldn't even take me to practice. He'd make mom do it or ask mom to do it. And I, I'm trying to fathom what that would be like, having had a dad that didn't miss any of my games. And he said, you know, he said, by the time I got to high school, I was a senior. And he said, I was a starting guard for my football team. And we reached the state playoffs. And he said, I begged my dad to come and watch me play in the biggest game of my life as a starting guard. And we're playing for the state high school football championship. And he said, we're out warming up, doing our drills. The band's playing. You know the scene. I said, yes, I remember it well. He said, I have to admit, while we're doing drills, I keep looking and seeing if, if anybody's coming in. He said, right before the drills were over and it was time to go huddle up and get ready for the coin toss and then the kickoff, the start of the game, he said, I saw my dad come in the entrance. He said, my heart leaped with joy in a way I can't even describe. He said he came in with two other men and they were in business suits. And he said they stood there and looked around and they talked a little bit and then they left. And he said he never came back in the stadium. He said to this day, 40, day, 40 years later, he said I have suffered rejection and disappointment and anger as vivid now as it was 40 years ago. And then he began to weep at that table where we were sharing fellowship and a meal. And I reached across that table and I grabbed his arm and I held it tightly. I didn't care who looked on or who saw. And I began to pray over this pastor whose father was a pastor who showed no interest in his life. 40 years later, he's suffering the consequences of such action. Come on now, somebody. Do you understand what this meant, how he must have felt? Going back to the night of the football game, I wonder what that father considered more important than being there for his son. I mean, was his to-do list greater than meeting the needs of the boy who bore his name? And so a father holds awesome power in the lives of his children. 
It's been said that no man stands so tall as when he stoops to help a boy. Another wise observer said, tie a boy to the right man and he almost never goes wrong. When asked who their heroes are, the majority of boys who are fortunate enough to have had a dad will say, my dad. Now, one thing I noticed about my children and my, our son in particular, early on in his life, he was glued to his mama. Because they need their mother more than anyone those first few years of their life. But then there comes a time, about four or five years old, where they, they, they kind of start pulling back a little bit from their mother because now they're turning to dad to model masculinity and manhood. And it's just the, and I've heard many moms say, you know, my son, he doesn't, he doesn't uh, show me the attention he once did. He, he, he's pulling away from me. Understand, mom, that this is a natural process. And it must happen. If he never pulls away from you and pulls toward dad, we have a problem. And we need God's help. So we know there are two critical periods during childhood when boys are particularly vulnerable. We know obviously the one is on the onset of puberty when members of both sexes experience an emotional and hormonal upheaval. We're aware of that. Boys and girls at that time desperately need a father's supervision, guidance, and love. Divorce at that season in the life of the children is absolutely devastating. Very young boys, they bask in their mother's femininity during infancy and toddlerhood. And fathers are important, but they won't show the dad a whole lot of attention at that moment. But about three to five years of age, a lad gradually pulls away from his mom and sisters in an effort to formulate a masculine identity. And so it is typical for boys during those years, even uh, earlier, to crave the attention and involvement of their dad and try to emulate his behavior and his mannerisms. I remember my son clearly identifying with my masculinity when he was in that period. I can give you examples, but I won't bore you with unnecessary stories. But I remember that season, and I remember it well. When fathers are absent during the time that our boys and girls are needing, especially our sons are needing to turn to the modeling of a father. Um, when fathers are absent or they're inaccessible, you know, you don't have to be divorced to be a, 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 a bad father. It, it's not just, it's not always divorce, it's inaccessibility. You're not accessible. You're too busy earning a dollar to take the time and discipline yourself. To just be a kid for a while and, and model masculinity. And we think it's all because of divorce. But I know many marriages that, that the, the boys struggle because the dad is inaccessible. Come on, someone. Amen. Bo boys living with single mothers, they're, they're obviously left to formulate their masculine identity out of thin air. And I pray and, and ask God to strengthen our single mothers because they really have a job in which they were not trained to perform. And we need God. You know, not only did I have a wonderful father, but my dad's brother, my uncle, was a tremendous example to me. Um, I just remember him at every game cheering my name. I was named after my uncle. And my uncle validated me also as well as my father validated me as his. And my uncle played a tremendous role in my life. He never missed a game. And even people that remembered him playing ball back when he was my age said he plays a lot like his uncle. 
he reminds me of you. And boy, my uncle, that he would swell with pride, but the one swelling with pride was me because I had another figure of masculinity and integrity to model in my life. This is why early divorce is so devastating for boys. One of the primary objectives of parents is to help boys identify their gender assignments and understand what it means to be a man. We have gender problems in our world. Come on, somebody. And the reason we're having gender problems is because of the lack of a father, the inaccessibility of someone to emulate and model a good man. I was blessed to have a wonderful father. From the earliest years of my memory, he was always accessible to me. He rarely said no to me when I know he was exhausted from working all day long If I said, Dad, would you want to play a little catch in the yard? 99 times out of 100, even through exhaustion, he'd say, Sure, why don't you go get the ball gloves and and, and meet me in the garage? He would push through his own tiredness. And he would push through to be accessible for me. I would pitch to him until his hand was numb. But he did it for me because he loved me. I also remember the delightful times that I wrestled or roughhoused with my father. Uh, I remember we used to horrify my mother. I'm sure that when my son and I, we, we would wrestle aggressively. You know, this was no patty cake thing we, we did here. We roughhoused, and I'm sure Susie was scared to death at many times. I saw her rush into a room and move things that could be knocked over and broken and protect all the pretties and the collectibles because we, Quint, we were going to get after it. And I know you and your daddy did the same thing. And we wrestled and roughhoused. And many times I've had people say to me, I don't think this is necessary. <laughs> I've had people say that, that uh, this, this is, could lead to criminal behavior. And I've said to many a, a woman out here in my travels, well, if you don't let your husband do this, it will lead to criminal behavior because they'll never identify in the way they should identify with their dad. It's a special time. Sunday afternoons were, were short and sweet when I grew up because my dad was a deacon. I'm a deacon's kid, one of the finest deacons I've ever served. And my dad and my brother and I would come home and we'd have the traditional, come on somebody, assemblies of God lunch. Can I get a witness for roast? Come on somebody. Carrots and potatoes. Can I get some brown gravy on that? Come on somebody. Ladle me a heavy dose of brown gravy. And then those brown and serve rolls, I say unto thee, yea, split them slightly and let real butter begin to move down into every crack and crevice. As it sees fit. Come on. I'm getting a witness now. If I thought I had lost you, I'm ready to take you in for the slide now. And then my dad, my mother would grab the, this is for some of you that understand this. My mom would grab that week's Pentecostal evangel. Some of you know. And she'd go back to the master bedroom and lock the door because dad and Mike and I were going to fight all afternoon. We would fight, we would beat each other with with copies of the Tulsa Tribune Sunday paper. We would wrap them with extra rubber bands and beat each other like with clubs and loved and laughed and kissed each other through it all. There was nothing more fun than Sunday afternoon. And then dad would say, boys, we better go get cleaned up and ready because we got choir practice, we got to tune our instruments, we got prayer meeting, and we got church tonight. That's the way it was every Sunday afternoon. And it took me two years after my dad's passing before I stopped crying on occasion. 
because I was given a gift that's a rare gift on this earth, especially in our modern culture. How many angry boys throwing bricks through windows and doing violence against other people would have turned out a loving asset to their culture had they had a dad that would have validated who they are. A prison chaplain, I've done many prison outreaches over the years, especially in the earlier years of our ministry. I've preached in many prisons, and among the thousands of prisoners that this particular chaplain uh, had contact with, he said not one of them that he had spoken to gen- um, it genuinely loved their dad. He said 95% of those on death row would verbally say they hated their fathers. So clearly, as Barbara Jackson quoted, it is far easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. Some years ago, executives of a greeting card company, if I told you the name of the company, you've bought their cards often through the years, but let's leave it at that. They thought they would do something in one of our major prisons, maximum security prisons. They thought on Mother's Day that this card company would provide free Mother's Day cards and set up tables for the inmates to come and sign a card, and then they would pay for the postage and send it to their mothers. They had so many in the line that they had to place a second order for thousands more cards to get to those moms, and the lines went as long as the eye could see. It was such a tremendous success. The warden said, let's do it on Father's Day and give them the same opportunity. Three prisoners lined up. Stacks and stacks of cards, but nobody felt a need to send a card to his father. I can't, I can't fathom it, but I know it happened. And let me remind us that only God knows how long we men have on this earth. You know, life is but a vapor. The Bible says it appears for a moment, then it vanishes away, and... I don't know how many years uh, I, I have. I'm, I'm 59 years old, but I don't know if, if, if my life is going to be shortened or if I'm going to have a very long life. I don't know that. Can't answer that question. But one thing I do know is my influence will never die. Um, I've heard fathers say, I've heard men say to me, Well, I got my kids raised now. I'm finally done. To which I reply, oh, don't you wish. Your influence will never cease. I've heard other fathers say, I'm an empty nester now. I'm pretty well done. They'll kind of do this with their hands, you know, like I've accomplished my assignment. I don't have to do this anymore. And then grandchildren come. And even more now than ever, I know that my grandson and granddaughter are looking at their papa every chance they get. The way I respond, the way I treat their Nina, and the way I handle my life and my behavior. They're looking for someone to model. Oh, they have great parents. Our son and daughter-in-law are excellent parents. I couldn't be more pleased. But they're watching us, and they're emulating our behavior. So I basically have come to the conclusion, until I leave this earth, and even after I'm gone, my influence will still be present, and I will be spoken of on the things that I did and even the things that I did not do. And it never ceases. And we have the opportunity to create lasting memories 
with our children. And it's difficult to be a parent. It's, it's harder today than it ever has been in our history. But I just feel that if God be for us, He'll give us the grace that, that we need to, to see this thing through. Oh yeah, I'm an empty nester now and the grandchildren are on the horizon and now it's taking a lawn chair and showing up at a baseball diamond somewhere and cheering their names and their numbers. And I always have money in my pocket, cash, home runs get a certain amount of money. A great game gets another amount. And I, before I pray, I'll leave you with a little funny story that my grandson pulled on me here not long ago. I give a $5 bill for a home run. He's only eight. That will go up as he grows up. It'll end up being a big bill at some point. Right now, it's a $5 bill for a home run. At his level, many home runs, 99% of them are in the park. You dads, grandpas, you know what I'm talking about. Right now, it's not knocking them over the fence. That, that day will come. But even the, so, so he, he, he knows the fees, the agreed fees. And so his first at-bats, he slams a line drive to the fence, and he's a really great runner, so he's, he's rounding first. And, I mean, it's just a, it's like he's already at second. He, I'm, I'm thinking, the boy's a gazelle. He's coming to third, and by the time they get the ball thrown into the cutoff, man, which is either second, I think second baseman went out to be, by the time the second baseman gets it from the outfielder, he's already rounding third, and there's, there's no way at that level they can, they can rocket a shot in there to the catcher. To get him out. So home run number one. And we all go nuts. I almost climbed the fence in excitement. I, and uh, it, I was so thrilled. Second at bats. I think he hits a single. Third at bats. He hits another shot to the fence. Beats the inability of the fielders to get him out. Number two. And then he had one more at bats at the very end. I think he hit a little single. And got on first base. He, he went four for four. What a, what a wonderful game. And I'm thinking. So I'm getting my $5 bill out. And uh, I'm so glad I had a five. I saw a 10. I saw a 20. I saw a couple of ones. And there's a five. I, like, I almost wasn't prepared for this home run. And I have to go to the concession stand and get changed. But no, I had a five. I got my five. And, and boy, he's looking. He's, he's saying hi to his other papa and his other, his other, uh, his other grandma and his great-grandparents are there and, and, and his parents. And then he locks eyes with me. And I just went, hmm. He looks back and he goes, mm-hmm. I said, mm-hmm. That's all we said. We didn't have words. I pulled out with my fingertips that five that had been removed from the money clip so it was loose in the pocket. And I went and handed it to him. Man, I grabbed him. I kissed the top of his sweaty head, pulled him close to me, and I said, son, I'm telling you, what a game four for four. Papa is so proud of you. And he just looked up. And I said, it, is there something wrong? He held up that five. He said, I had two home, home runs, Papa. That should be ten. <laughs> and I thought, he's a perky for sure. He doesn't lose track of what he needs. <laughs> and it's, it's so silly. You might think, what does that have to do with anything? All I can tell you is he looks for it. And I look for him. And I really don't think at his age he really knows what $5 will even do. I don't think he has an appreciation for a $5 bill right now at that age. But I think what he looks for more than anything is just the validation. I noticed. 
I was in attendance, and I'm going to reward something you did tonight that was special. I think that's what he looks forward to. It's not the money, even though he did know the difference between a five and a ten. But we have an opportunity, gentlemen. And I don't get the opportunity as an evangelist. I'm preaching revival and infilling of the Holy Spirit and miracles and healing. I'm preaching these kinds of things the majority of the time in our travels. But every year, Pastor Brooks, for the last several years, has allowed me to come and speak to, to men. What a, what a joy. And in August, I'll be in Lubbock, Texas, in the West Texas District, speaking their um, uh, men's retreat for, their, for, the, for the district. One of the rare times just to get to zero in with, with men and, and what, a, what a treasure. I want to pray before Pastor Johnny comes back in a moment and dismisses us. If you'll stand with me, please. I know you've been sitting a while. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for letting me just uh, unburden my heart about something extremely essential, and that is the role of godly fathers. Can't be replaced. You can't buy this, this with money. You can't just throw money at your kids and hope that they turn out. They'll remember not the money, but they'll sure remember the time. And they'll relish that time. And um, they'll thank you for it one day. You may not feel like you're getting the thanks for a lot of things you've done and sacrificed for. Don't worry, it'll come. It'll come full circle. And when it does, it'll be often, and it will be from their heart.